0: That's right. That's my cat's name, Fuggles. Yeah. Sounds dirty. My
1: cat's name is Jack Hibachi. Nice. Uh, you know. <laughs> nice. I hate cats. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for five dollars a month. You can get your servers in any of their ten data centers, and their high-memory plans start at sixteen gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linocom slash rubyrogues. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Eric Berry. I think you just blew my headphones right off there. <laughs> uh, <worry> That's <laughs> all good. We also have Dave Kimura. Hey, everybody. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week we have a couple of special guests. We have uh, Justin Gordon. Aloha from Hawaii. And Rob Wise.
0: Hi, how are you doing?
2: Now, we had you on a while back to talk about React on Rails. Um And we're going to be talking about that again today, but uh, do you want to just give a brief introduction? Because it was quite a while ago when we had you on the show.
3: Sure, sure. Chuck, thanks a lot for bringing me back. It was a real pleasure speaking with you before. I know the last episode that we did on the Ruby Rogues about React on Rails introduced a lot of people to the library. It was um, The library started off just as, hmm, I wonder if I could make this thing I'm doing manually a little bit easier to do. So and the thing that I was trying to do manually was I was trying to integrate um, React plus Webpack into Ruby on Rails. This was a number of years ago. And then also I wanted to make sure we could do some server rendering for SEO. Well, that led to the React on Rails library. And um, so to my surprise, it got a lot. It got a bunch of traction and the traction led me to keep working and working and working on it. And so last time we talked about it, it was in a pretty good state. And but a lot of a lot of stuff has happened since we last talked, and the, the main stuff that's happened is that Ruby on Rails officially Ruby on Rails decided to adopt Webpacker, which is a choice that we made um, many years ago. Excuse me, adopt Webpack, not Webpacker. And so Ruby on Rails, the core library, decided to come out with its own library called Webpacker, which was the which is the integration of Webpack with Ruby on Rails. And so yeah, yeah go ahead, Chuck. I,
2: I was just going to chime in, um, Webpacker yep. actually has a React path you can, you know, use a Rails generator to pull React in.
3: Yeah, it's really, it's, so just, um, you know, hopefully we'll get a chance. I so we really want to go into some of the details on really what are the responsibilities of a different open source library. And that, you know, when it, when you come down to, when it comes down to designing any library, You've really got to decide where you, where your fence lines are, you know, what, what is the library really going to be responsible for and where are you going to say this is kind of more of an example. This is how you integrate with something, but it's not how we're going to support something and that, you know, early on the goal was, hey, we want to make um, integration and in JavaScript with Webpack super easy. And at first, I started doing all sorts of things, bringing in all like the different linters, the different, all sorts of opinions about how to do stuff, and making it so that you could run a generator and do this. And the problem is that it it would quickly became clear it was impossible support because JavaScript is changing so much. And so what that led to eventually was a refocusing of React on Rails. So it's really about. um, an ecosystem uh, set, set up so that you can have some React components, put them on a view in Rails, have the props easily go from Rails over into your React component, you can server render it, and we provide some other extensions that enable integrations with things like React Router, the ability to have multiple components on the page using the same Redux store, integrations with some test helpers, internationalization integration with the Rails library, And these I consider kind of core features that are part of React on Rails. And um, there is definitely some confusion out there because Webpacker, like you say, it says, hey, it'll integrate with React. All it's doing, it's essentially putting in the library for you in your um, package JSON. So it's really not much of an integration. And there's a sort of hidden file inside of the um, Webpacker docs um, called props.md in the docs directory that actually... um, suggests that you use a library like React on Rails or one of the other integrations so that you can easily put React components on your Rails view and have your props go to it and do server rendering.
2: That's interesting. So it sounds like um, you've talked about some of the benefits and features that you have in React on Rails. Um, I kind of want to move up a level or two because a lot of people are going to look at this and they're going to say... You know what? Um, if I want React in my app, you know, I'll just go the Webpacker route. I generally use Angular, and I found that there are some issues pulling in third-party stuff with the Angular setup as well um, with Webpacker. And so, uh, you know, well, what are you doing differently here? You know, you both use Webpack. Um, yeah, I, I'm just wondering well, what the
0: difference is. Before we get into that, can we can we give a, a brief primer to? Uh, Webpacker Lite, your, your version of Webpacker yeah. and the motivation behind it, because I don't want to get into the differences without actually giving it a little bit of background as to what it is. Yeah, uh, I
3: think we should. Yeah, I think it's yeah. really um, a lot of a lot of things in the current world are explained through looking at history, you know, technology and other things. So what, what happened is this, is that the original way that React on Rails pulled assets into Rails was that the idea was simple webpack would take all your javascript files and create one big javascript file that had babel and all sorts of great things in it at first we weren't even worried about um, handling css and images and things like that and all the other front end assets well over the years webpack evolved to the point where it could do everything that the asset pipeline was doing in terms of minification fingerprinting and a whole lot more so um, it became so. The problem is, is that we were taking this beautiful, um, this big JavaScript file, and then we were putting it through the Acid pipeline. And the big problem that we ran into is the Acid pipeline has minification either on or off for everything. Mm-hmm. So what happened is, is that you, we started double minifying this file, and that started breaking source maps and causing some other, other problems with development. So we go, okay, so we, we want to figure out a way. We want to just put um, the Webpack JavaScript file directly on the Rails page when you're loading it. And at the same time, Webpacker came out. And the idea with Webpacker was that we would configure Webpack so that it would generate a, um, generate the hash files and just be all ready for Rails. And it essentially had a view helper that would put this file there with some configuration, et cetera. But it, w- it also wanted to do a whole lot more than just that. That was the part that React on Rails needed, was this view helper to get that JavaScript file that we're creating and put put it on your Rails view. Now, there's a whole lot of plumbing involved in that, you know, configuration plumbing to make sure all this works because it sounds simple on the outside, but when you got a test environment, development environment, production environment, you want to make sure when your tests run that your JavaScript's current, et cetera. You just want to make sure it's really easy for everybody to use. So we kind of, I kind of thought, okay, well, wow, Rails wants to adopt Webpack. You know, this is different than React on Rails. React on Rails is about putting React components, you know, using Webpack in your Rails app. Webpacker was about, hey, we're going to integrate JavaScript through Webpack, and we're going to support things like Angular, Elm, React, et cetera. So I go, great, I'm going to get put this together. And so at first I started making pull requests. And it was just like I was banging my head against the wall because it just wasn't going anywhere. I was just spending all my time trying to get these changes in the Webpacker so React on Rails could use it. So finally, after a lot of frustration, I go, you know what, I'm just going to fork it. I'm going to simplify it because Webpacker is doing all the stuff that I tried doing before with React on Rails that I realized was just not going to be that easy to support. It would just be a huge amount of work to support. And it wasn't related to the core thing that React on Rails needed, which was these view helpers. So I created the fork and made it work. And by making it work, and I had lots of discussions with the core maintainers, and it just became clear that if they were willing to budge a little bit, and I was willing to budge a little bit with React on Rails, we didn't need two versions of Webpacker. So lots and lots of work went into that. Uh,
0: so when you were talking to them, and originally... My view of Webpacker and the integration of that is kind of like DHH said, uh, everybody wanted it, but he kept saying no. He kept saying no, almost like Steve Jobs and changes. And it's almost like (coughs) when it came about, it was DHH saying, fine, F you guys, I'll do it anyway, and we'll put it in. But it's basically because... He was trying to appease them. So based on your experience with that, what's your view on that? And also based on your experience talking to the core team, how much of a part is Webpacker to the core team? Or is that kind of like, a, we're going to maintain it, we're going to help build it, but it's actually not something that we use internally?
3: Well, I think it's a really core part of the future of Rails. And I haven't been looking too much into this. But the, the bottom line is, is that there's a huge community behind Webpack that's Making these, you know, the preparation of the front-end assets um, super optimal, far more optimal than than the sprockets people would ever imagine doing. I mean, sprockets was great for many, many years. Now it's just absolutely clear that it's just indisputable. You got what's in Webpack, and it's going to do everything that you need to do, including things like code splitting, which is going which is going to enable you Mm -hmm. to load up different parts of the JavaScript as it's needed as you go to different parts in the app. So I think it's, it's clear that DHH and the, and the core team saw Webpack as a huge win. And also, they also saw it as a huge win as ES6. You know, it's a huge difference between ES6 and ES5 JavaScript. So all of a sudden, JavaScript became great with ES6, and the tooling became great with Webpack. So the goal then is, let's make it super easy to get this JavaScript in your Rails app without having to know the ins and outs of Webpack. And that's sort of the goal of Webpacker is is that it makes it so it gives you um, an omakase setup for your Webpack. Now, that sounds really great on the outset. And in fact, in React on Rails, we use that for our generator. We changed over from generating a complete, um, unique Webpack setup and saying, hey, you know what? The whole purpose of React on Rails isn't to configure your Webpack. You know, we always gave an example. So, you know what we're going to do for the very, very simple case is just make it so we'll use the default Webpacker setup for a simple Webpack config. And then that's great because there's like almost no lines of code. But the problem is then is when you want to customize this, which a lot of, you know, have more production scale apps will need to do. And then it gets very complicated.
4: And that was a lot, a lot of the the back and forth regarding Webpacker Lite was about. was is- they were making a lot of presumptions about how people would be using Webpacker and how it would integrate with the app. And they were trying to, like Justin like make it so out of the box. You don't even really have to know how Webpack works, really, because Webpacker would take care of it for you. And um, like, for example, in our own production app, that wouldn't have even worked. It, it was making like a lot of assumptions, and we thought some of the code was was kind of overly complex for for what we were trying to do and so that's why you know justin went ahead and made the Hacker light fork just to kind of demonstrate what our what our concerns were and what a simpler way might be and i think that was a lot easier for them to then see oh i see what you're saying like we can fix this thing here and here because the whole repo is is in context and they can play with it and it's not they're not trying to look through diffs of a pull request and so and it it turned out it had a happy ending i mean they they kind of addressed our concerns and, and back in Webpacker. And that we now, like Justin says, we use Webpacker for React on Rails. So you're actually, there is no, you don't have to make a choice between Webpacker and React on Rails. React on Rails uses Webpacker to manage the Webpack setup. And then React on Rails comes in as it actually puts React components on the page for you, which you do not get with
0: Webpacker. So React on Rails, though, when I used it before, I and forgive me if I'm Crossing wires here, but wasn't uh, wasn't React on Rails basically applying the uh, the Rails components or the React components directly within the asset pipeline in the app assets JavaScripts folder?
3: Well, the um, yeah, don't don't think about the React components are going there. The JavaScript is going there. So you right. have um, so you have a Rails view an ERB view, for example. You call a helper, React component, and you say, here's a component name I wanna I want to use. right? And you can even pass some props in. So the way React on Rails works is that that helper, React component, we call it, it's React components the same as another library called React-Rails. What it does is that there's already a JavaScript that will will been loaded. This has been prepared by Webpack. You've configured your page to load that. One of the things that happens when it loads is that you will call some you will call register and register this name goes to this JavaScript component and that's how the magic of how it works. So it's global registration. So then what happens is that when the page loads, then upon page load, what happens is is that um, the whole the React on Rails JavaScript library will say, "Hey, you know, mount this component in this div." Okay.
4: Does that
3: make sense? Or it's a, it's actually yeah. a script tag. It's a script tag now, isn't it? It's um, I what don't know. It's, it's, it's not. Or... It's not a. Well, it's not a script tag. It's just a JavaScript on the page, and then when the JavaScript on the page loads, I mean everything loads through a script tag, the JavaScript. But when the JavaScript on 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 page load, etc., I don't remember the exact one, what it then does it will say, hey, for any um React components on the page, let's mount them.
4: And that's where the server rendering comes into play. Because if you're not server rendering and you don't have JavaScript, or as many of the right. crawlers don't, um, all that's there when the HTML gets sent, all that's there is that empty div or that, that script yeah. tag. There's no, there's no actual HTML representing right. the React component. That only happens when the JavaScript bundle that you included in your head or wherever starts up, calls React on Rails, and React and Rails says, OK, I want to put this code in this div, and then it builds the HTML and inserts it into the DOM. And,
3: and only yeah, then is
4: the whole, component. Actually there's a
3: there. whole separate part. I mean, that's really the thing about wow. React on Rails. It's like, you know, why do you even need React on Rails? You have Webpacker, it has React, and yeah, they have an example that's got maybe 20 lines of code to mount a React component. You just go there and you look, okay, you know, you don't want to use something, here's how you could do it. Great, you can have maybe 20 lines of some JavaScript code you can copy and paste all over the place and blah, blah, blah. And it's still going to be like, okay, now how do I do just a server rendering thing? So my page actually, if somebody has JavaScript turned off, it actually still looks fine. Sure, you can't interact with it, but it absolutely looks completely fine. And you can actually try this on a bunch of React on Rails sites that are listed on our projects page in the GitHub repo. Literally go on the dev tools, turn off JavaScript, and then, oh my God, it just still works. And it's actually a single page app using react router links around um one of the sites i love showing people on this is um, a company called hvmn.com and what it is it's about nootropics which kind of i, I use their products it's a, so shout out to those guys and it's stuff that kind of vitamins are supposed to make you smarter anyway great company and um the guy showed it to me one day because i actually never really tried it. i just kind of knew it would work it was oh yeah just go turn off JavaScript and go click around. And if you go look in your console, you can see, oh my God, this like server rendering stuff is kind of cool. And then that's how, and that's great because then these pages are cached. Um, the search engine gets it instantaneously. The search engine doesn't need to, you know, see animations and other things like that. And so what happens is, is that when the request comes into the Rails server from the browser, the um, what's going to happen is, is we have this view helper that's going to get invoked and parse through the ERB. And the view Helper is going to go, oh, this thing has server rendering turned on. I'm not just going to render the plain div. I'm going to actually call your JavaScript file, which you've registered through the configuration of React on Rails. And I'm going to run a function there that's going to set up that React component and generate a string that's got the exact stuff that the page needs for server rendering. And that's provided by the React libraries.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. I kind of want to back up a little bit because... Um, I I think people are probably listening to this and some people are into React or they've played around with other frameworks that have some of the features that you're talking about. And they're thinking, oh, yeah, you know, it'd be nice if I, you know, I could just say I want this component with these properties in in the page. But other people, you know, they're just getting started with this. You know, they've been out there playing around. They've been doing jQuery forever and it's okay, you know. Uh, my company has decided that we want to see if React or Angular View or something else is going to work for us. And so, you know, I went and did the Webpacker thing and uh, it, it sort of worked, you know, not 100% like I thought it would. Um, you know, all this other stuff that you're talking about with server rendering and stuff is just, you know, let, let's just, you know, take the, the first basic step and, and kind of get to the point where I can just put React into my setup you know, are, are they good with using Webpack then or, or Webpacker? Or should they actually pull in React on Rails? And, uh, you know, it, it sounds like pulling in components is a little bit easier. But where I'm going with this is, you know, for the general Rails person that's just looking for maybe uh, jQuery plus components or something like that out of React, you know, is, is, there a, is there a path forward with this where you don't have to be a React expert to do this kind of development?
3: Yeah, that's a great question, Chuck. There's a question in my forum forum.chalkaco.com, and the question actually, what it did was, the question there posted the example from Webpacker and said that the person was kind of stuck and kind of getting all this stuff to work. The really nice thing about um, making the step to go to React on say say you just want to put a React component in a Rails app and you want to use React on Rails, mm-hmm. run the generator. And then, boom, you've got a setup there. And the setup's pretty simple. You've got a view helper already set up, so you're not messing around with DOM events. And you just got to register this component by name. You go in your JavaScript file, and you create a component, a React component, and you register it. And you're done, pretty much. You can use the default Webpack config from Webpacker to get started, so you don't need to mess around with Webpack. And in fact, there's um, a bunch of videos I do, including the video, the little clip in my GoRuCo um, conference talk, which definitely probably want to check that one out, where I demonstrate the generator React on Rails in an existing Rails app. And you can see there's only a few lines of code you need, and then you, start, you can start playing around with React components. And literally, you can flip a switch and turn on server rendering, although the, I believe that the default Webpacker setup is not going to be ideal for that but it probably even works for it. Gotcha.
2: One other thing that I'm also wondering about, uh, you know, as, as many people know, um, I do a JavaScript podcast as well. And, you know, we keep bringing up Webpack. And it, you know, with Webpacker, you don't have to really touch Webpack. You know, the, the best you do is you, um, I think there's a manifest file. I haven't done it for a few months, but there's a manifest file basically. And, uh, you know, the rest of it's just yarn. So what what I'm wondering is, is with React on Rails, do you have to know Webpack? Does it help to know Webpack? And the other question I have is coming from the JavaScript world. if If it's already solved in JavaScript, why do we even need all of the Ruby stuff built around it?
3: Well, there's you have a lot of questions there. Let's um, yeah. Let's address let's address one at a time. Um, Chuck, why don't you back up and go through and just give us one question at a time. Yeah.
2: So the first one is basically, let's say that I want to pick up and try React on Rails. How much do I, how much Webpack do I need to know? And you know, at what point do I need to start
3: learning it? Okay, so in terms of you want to pick up React on Rails, you obviously need to learn a little bit about React and how that works. And you have a goal, which is to put a component, a JavaScript component on the page that's probably going to have some interactions there, et cetera. You, maybe you got some example out of some open source and you want to just try it out. You don't need to know really any Webpack, and the reason why is thanks to Webpacker and the integration of React on Rails with Webpacker, because you'll use Webpacker and you'll let that one hand, you'll let Webpacker handle the Webpack config. Mm-hmm. So I really do actually like that in terms of the ability of React on Rails to get a newbie set up using Webpacker. That was something I really didn't even plan on at first when I was trying to integrate React on Rails with Webpacker. I just really wanted the view helper. But by the time we were all said and done, I was like, oh wow, you know what? It all works. I can now make the generator. So that I don't need to support it and react on Rails and support all this extra Webpack stuff mm-hmm. that's always ending up out of date. Gotcha.
2: And then the the other question is is um, you, you know do we need all of this extra Ruby stuff around Webpack because Webpack does its job it has its own config. I mean, granted, you're probably going to do, be doing the config in JSON or something as opposed to YAML or something else that you may like better. Um, you know, and, and a lot of the integrations that you're going to do with Webpack are going to be um, JavaScript, not Ruby. So, you know, is is the Ruby stuff just nice to have or is it essential to have or does it make it more Rails way or what? what's the advantage to having that?
3: I think it, this, your question is really what is, you know, given we have single page apps now and there's a lot of ways to do it and now you have and all you really need is you need a way to serve. The HTML with your, which will load your JavaScript application, and you're going to need an API. And there's, you know, so the backend is becoming a little bit of a commodity in terms of, it doesn't necessarily ma- matter if you're using Rails or not. Right. That being said, we absolutely still love using Rails for the backend business logic. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people. I think people listening to this podcast um, are very, really very familiar with Ruby on Rails. They've probably already. Most of the apps are already going to be, you know, how many people are starting a new app versus how many people are maintaining an app. You probably have an app that really has a lot of screens written in ERB or other parts of Rails that work just fine. Maybe you're even using Rails admin or other backend tools for your back office. So you already have a Rails app. So now with React and Rails, you could just put a component on there and make it so that when you go to this, you know, some page you link to in your routes, this component is then going to be essentially a single page app in fact you can use react router and this is supported by react on rails so you can dig into different paths and even have it server rendered inside of those different paths so you can think about as your rails app is actually holding many different single page apps if you want and then the other charge does
4: what What our our internal project actually is like that. You have multiple kind of single page applications depending on where you are in the app.
2: Right. Yeah.
3: And and then the next level also is that sure you don't need Rails anymore, but if you want to set up a Java, you want to set up one of one of these apps and you want to use a different framework with server rendering, then it's going to be a whole lot more complicated than just you got some back end service and you have some web page that loads some JavaScript application that talks your back end. So with React and Rails, it really just takes a few seconds to get set up, and you're up and running.
4: But Chuck, was your, was your question also like, also about like why even have the Webpacker?
2: Like why do you yeah. need... Why, why yeah. not just configure Webpack directly?
4: Well, so that's, there, there's kind of two types of developer that you could possibly target. I mean, like Eric is saying, he's, he doesn't like the complexity of Webpack. And if you want something, if you're a Rails guy, and you just want to play with some React stuff, because you got a component that needs it, some interactivity, Maybe you don't want to deal with all the complexity of Webpack. You're not don't have a JavaScript background. Webpacker out of the box just works, um, and if you want to use React and Rails, that just works too, and it's really simple to get props from Rails into your React component to initialize it. Now that's one type of guy, or girl, and then there's another type, which is you know, sounds like a little bit more like you, which is you're familiar you're familiar with Webpack. You like Webpack. You don't want to now have to learn all of this. Uh, stuff that they've now wrapped around your baby that you got to figure out how to get to the stuff that you want to mess with. And um, that was actually a lot of what the back and forth with the whole Webpacker Lite thing was, was it was adding a huge amount of complexity. And I have become very familiar with Webpack and how to configure that. And we had a very advanced setup. We actually have a script to make the config because we have so many different um, concerns in different environments Uh, to talk about complexity.
2: So, uh, you're not the only one,
4: yeah. (laughs) And so it just became it was just a question of, you know, how it was Webpack is is primarily a configuration over convention type thing, whereas Rails is kind of the opposite, and that's always been sort of the story. Uh, Rails is, you know, that's that's what it's famous for it's convention over configuration. And I think with some of these JavaScript libraries, especially like React, which when it came out had no. No opinions on how to how to manage state and do kind of like an MVC pattern or anything like that. And then eventually Redux did come out. I mean, they had Flux and then Redux, and that came out. And even then, with Redux, pretty much every Redux app I've looked at is completely different from the, all the other ones I've looked at mm-hmm. in terms of um, at least something they've they're doing something radically different. So, so you know, you've you've kind of got two different camps. You got a um, to there. And I think the Webpacker pack, web does a good job of getting you started. And if, if you don't want to deal with Webpack and it sounds kind of complicated, you can just write a React component on the page. And React and Rails makes it really simple to get the React component to then show up in your view. Whereas normally you'd have to go, okay, where's the you'd have to write in your JavaScript, where's right. the div? Let me change out that div with the React component and put it on there. And I don't know. Then you got to go find your data somehow, maybe via Ajax. React on Rails just goes, okay, put the React component right here. If it's called Foo, put the React component called Foo right here, and I want you to put this instance variable into its props, and it just shows up like that. So, but 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 like I said, on the on our internal production app, we have an extremely um, advanced kind of complex. Webpack set up, and we really like Webpack, so there's very minimal interface with, with the Ruby code messing with Webpack. It just basically makes that manifest file, which allows you to map the name of the bundle to the hashed version of the bundle, because you want to have that for caching. And that's really all it does, and it completely avoids the asset pipeline. It just takes, you use Webpack to build your bundles and, and put an put a MD5 hash on it, and then it sticks it in the public folder. And then in order to get that onto your script tag, onto your page, they you have this little pack pack tag mm-hmm. helper. And that kind of looks up the manifest and puts the correct name of the file name on the page. And that's all it does. And, and that's it.
2: So so essentially, I guess, um, you, you answered most of my question there. So I guess the rest of the question is, is, let's say that I play a bunch in JavaScript land and a bunch in Ruby land, and I want all of the niceties that React on Rails gives me, but... I may want to go in and tweak Webpack for whatever reason. I can do
3: both. Absolutely. Okay.
2: Interview Cake makes coding interviews a piece of cake. Here's the problem with most coding interview practice. You work on a problem, bang your head against the wall, give up, and look up the answer. And then you're like, what? How do you even come up with something like that? That's why Interview Cake teaches you step-by-step how to come up with clever algorithms. They break it down into a simple set of patterns that can be applied to any problem. To learn more, check out interviewcake.com slash rubyrogues. Ruby Rogues listeners get 20% off Interview Cake's full online coding interview prep course. To sign up today, go to interviewcake.com slash rubyrogues.
3: Yeah, that's the, um. you know, I, I mentioned that in the readme of React on Rails, and it's sort of a, you know, it's an interesting question. It's And the question is, is if, you as a team at shaka code recommend doing it the the old way which is have all your javascript under a directory called slash client and to configure webpack directly why do you do the generator using webpacker and the reason why is is that some things are better left for examples and some things are better left for libraries so if we're going to do a generator then that is really for the beginner to quickly be able to assess how much they like react on rails it's also a benefit because a lot of people in the Rails community want want libraries that work well, play nicely with other parts of the Rails community. And it, it was definitely clear to me that if React on Rails wasn't working with Webpacker, then there would just be too many questions for people that are considering adoption of the library, like, you know, is this the direction of Rails or not? So it's really clear, React on Rails builds on top of Webpacker, so it's not an either-or decision. If you want the help of React on Rails and you want to make your life easier and do server rendering and things and get set up in five seconds, use React on Rails. Yeah. If you needs- want to do Angular, don't you know? Don't worry about React on Rails. You don't need it.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that's the big win, though, is that you don't have to do all of the weirdo setup. I mean, no, nobody wants to spend a day doing setup just to figure out if they want to use the technology. And so this gets you off the ground, yeah. and then you can move ahead from there.
3: Yeah, it's a great it's a great starting point Well, the um, you know if you go look at all the Webpack docs, there's a lot of docs there for Webpack. Yeah. It's a lot of different things you might um, tweak one way or another, and we've got examples of how to do that as well. And then there's examples just inside of the React on Rails source code, and also we have an example that we support. At you can see it live at reactrails.com, and that uses a that uses a custom setup, but it's not as say um it's not the full custom setup that rob does for our own internal app
1: right so if using react on rails uh let's say you have a new rails one or 5.2 application and which comes with webpacker you know all that good stuff bundled in when you start out the application would you avoid doing the dash dash webpack equals react just so you can get the react if you plan on using react on rails would you skip loading in the initial react libraries and just leave that to react on rails to handle or would you kind of use both in tandem
3: i think if, if you're really starting a new app and you're just playing around creating um, little sample demos just go take a look at the react on rails um, repo and look at the simple tutorial which is the one i demo literally in two minutes in the conference talk And just follow the parameters there. All those parameters do is they will set up different things in your, you know, different whatever package JSON, et cetera, this or that. The React on Rails readme and with the tutorial set up with the generator was just designed to make things as simple as they could be. The minimum number of steps, the maximum clarity. But at the end of the day, though, you know, real apps are not going to matter one way or another if you ran the generator for app one, you know, this way or that way. You're going to end up changing stuff in a real app. But you, you have a lot of there, different... You've got to apps. understand what's going on, though.
4: Yeah. The, I mean, probably the biggest, uh, Justin, the, probably the, one of the biggest differences is uh, where it's putting your files, right? Because like, mm-hmm. if you use the normal Webpacker generator, it's putting it in those packs folders inside your app assets folder. Yeah. whereas you know we've got a lot of guys we've got a couple of guys who are front end only guys they don't use rails and it's like it's just very strange for them to be working inside of these assets folders like that they much prefer if we just give them a client folder which is a sibling of the app folder at the root level and that's your playground it's normal what you're used to react stuff it's just at the very end instead of getting put to a disk folder it gets put to the public
3: folder for rails and then you know <laughs> Rails. It's, it's, it's worth it's worth mentioning that with the most basic configuration of Webpack that it requires is you have to set up where what files are your entry points because the way Webpack works is that it doesn't bring in a whole directory of files. It takes whatever your entry points are and figures out what their dependencies are. So you only bring in what you depend upon. So that has to be listed in your configuration. So Webpacker solved that problem, or maybe I wouldn't say solved the problem. They made it so that you didn't need to do that because you have to put all your entry points into a specific directory. And then there's a JavaScript library that sets up your Webpack config that actually will go look in that directory, et cetera. And that was that was all part of what kind of came about with the whole Webpacker light and the Webpacker stuff. Because at first, all this JavaScript stuff was configured through Ruby, um, a bunch of Ruby interpolation of a YAML file and things like that. And eventually we got stuff. So it's all configured through where um, actually it was configured through actually a Ruby file. So there was just no way to do stuff in a very clean way. And eventually things got a lot better in the, the Webpacker side, meaning that they actually had a JavaScript library. They got um, all the JavaScript stuff doesn't depend on Ruby. That was the key difference. And that was the stuff that either Webpack or Lite heavily influenced.
0: I got a couple of questions for you. Uh, the first one is, if I had a front-end team that's independent, I'm a Rails developer, and I got the front-end team, is it a better option to go with uh, React on Rails to have two different uh, repositories? So can I inject another project into Rails maybe as a sub module or sub uh, git sub module or whatever it is, and use React on Rails. Is that do do you find that people who typically use this are doing it because they like the absolute separation of Rails code base and the React code base?
4: Well, I don't think I don't think um, that's necessarily true that they like the separation because normally if you're changing something you know on the back end, you need to change something on the front end, and vice versa. So we actually prefer if we can to have everything in the same repo. If you have a lot, we've had client projects in the past where we have had a lot of microservices and um, you know, you're trying to set up your review app for your react changes and they change their backend accordingly to feed the data, but then they merge their code, so their review app gets deleted. And now my review app doesn't work. It's like, it becomes, becomes like a big mess. So like, if it's all in the same repo, um, you could do something like a feature branch if you wanted to. We use feature flags, and right. um, it, it actually is nicer. I think when everything's in the same repo, but we do like the separation of here's the client code in the client folder and here's the Rails code in the app
3: folder.
0: Um, okay, yeah, that's dude, thank you. Uh, the other question I have is, um, we talked so you, you make you make a wonderful sales pitch for it, right? I I tend to. Uh, In fact, I I totally lean towards using this versus using the Webpacker because I'm not into Webpack. I don't like using Webpack. I don't like configuring it. And even though the Rails Rails has a nice setup, from what I understand from you guys, it seems like a much cleaner approach uh, using React on Rails. Now, what use case can you imagine where somebody would not want to use React on Rails and only use Webpacker?
1: When they're not doing React?
3: Yeah, when, <laughs> not React, yes, very, very <laughs> right. when you're not doing React, that's a very right. When you're not doing React, is that it? it though, like, sense. if it is React, you're always
0: the better choice.
3: If you're putting React in your app, there's—I don't see any downside to it. That I really, literally, have no idea of any downside to it. And the key thing is, is that it's just like all using all sorts of open source, especially really popular open source that lots and lots of apps are using every single day in production. Why do you want to maintain your own different view helpers and things like that? And sure, you don't even need your own view helper. You can just copy and paste the snippet of code from the library in Webpacker and do stuff on page load and just copy and paste a little snippet of JavaScript into your ERP file. But is that really the way you want to do a production app? Right. Maybe not.
1: Right. Yeah. So when I was uh, first dabbling in React and playing around with things, I came across the React on Rails and the other big contender that you mentioned and uh, was also on your conference talk, the React-Rails built by the React.js community. And it looks like, you know, on both sides, a lot of strides have been made to support uh, the asset pipeline back when that was really popular now webpack uh, both libraries you know are very supportive of that so what's the biggest difference today you know I know there was a lot of differences in the past between the two but today why would one choose React on Rails over React-Rails
3: so Dave I gotta tell you I like <laughs> I like looking at a lot of code every day and we're all, I'm also managing a company and you know, we're building our own product. We're, we're doing services contracts. And I actually, to be honest with you, I did look recently at react dash rails, just to take a quick look in case you did ask this question. And the <laughs> answer is, is, I have absolutely no idea on this answer <laughs> of like, you know, where react dash rails has come in terms of, you know, using Webpack or et cetera.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I do know that there's, you know, we were way far ahead of them in terms of Webpack adoption a long time yeah. ago. Yeah. So that that's one clear difference. The other thing is I will mention is that I did at my GoRuCo talk, I just asked, you know, out in the wild, how many people in the audience are using React-Rails? Dash And almost nobody raised their hand. And I don't think it was because I was, you know, doing React on Rails. But then, and then I asked how many people are using React on Rails, and actually quite a few did raise their hand. And I will mm-hmm. say, like, another data point is that, you know, we're, we're, we've we done a lot of work for Joel at Egghead. They make the um, the really great video tutorials. And I said, Joel, do you want to make, like, a little video of um, using React Dash Rails? This was a while ago, though, before the Webpacker thing. is like, no, you guys are doing it the right way. You know, we want to go <laughs> with what you guys do. So I, I really don't know, like, in terms of what happened, in terms of, you know, them, you know, now adopting Webpacker. They still support the old way. I yeah. mean, in fact, even in React on Rails, and this is one of the things about maintaining a library is that we tried to make it easy for people to upgrade. So we do still support the old way of putting assets through the asset pipeline. But, to, you know, you just kind of got to go read the docs to see how to do that. So I really I really don't know, to be honest with you, why, why um, you do that.
1: I was recording some screencasts using React-Rails and I want to do some on React-Rails, On you know, whenever I have some free time. And the thing that I found the biggest difference between the two is the initial setup. I think the React-Rails, that whole ecosystem, that community that uses it, it's kind of basing on the idea of you already know React, you already know how to get things going, because you don't you don't have the luxury of just uh, setting it up as easily as you would with React on Rails. So I did have to do a lot of finagling, include the dash uh, dash webpack equals React when starting a new application to get things working correctly. And it just seemed like a lot of duplication or jumping through hoops. Even though in their docs they make it sound pretty easy, it wasn't as simple as it was portrayed to be, whereas the React on Rails seemed to be a lot more seamless.
3: Well, I appreciate that. That sounds, <laughs> sounds like quite, a, I, you know, of course, I agree with you. We put, a, we put a ton of work into making things as easy as they could be, as seamless as they could be, so that we could you know, enable people to get on React and get on Rails really easily.
0: What's your, uh, what's your motivation behind maintaining building and maintaining this huge open source project that is, I imagine, taking a lot of your time? One, how, how, how do you see that uh, being sustainable long term? Is this becoming where you're going to license it or do you, are you, do you have different approaches of, of uh, hopefully monetizing in some way or supporting yourself in some way through this project?
3: Well, so thanks. Um, That's a really good question. You know, open source definitely takes time away from everything else that we do in our lives, especially things that are gonna help the company make money. Um, When I started out with the open source, it was really more of a thing about kind of like why I started blogging is I just really appreciate the efforts of everybody else that's done it. And I just, you know, I just wanted to see if I could do it and to create something. And I was really surprised to have something catch on. So that was, you know, the initial thing was, wow, this is great. And then then it's a lot of time. And then, um, so we have a small services firm and the really debate, the, the main benefit we get out of it is that I've got a blurb on the open source page that says, Hey, if you want to, you know, hire us to help us build your app, you know, we, we build react on rails. We support, you know, lots, many, many production apps out there that that are using it and. We do get our clients. I would say we've probably have gotten just about all of our consulting clients through our open source work. So it's sort of the um, the karma theory. Mm-hmm. The um, I, I really would like to add also, though, is that what we're doing nowadays is we have what we call a Shaka Code Pro Support subscription. So you have access to our team of engineers to help you with your Webpack config and really any aspect of front-end development. You know, as it pertains to Rails or even without Rails, because we've done a lot of projects even without Rails. And so for a low monthly subscription fee, you can have access to us. We create a private Slack channel. We'll look at your pull requests. So it's especially great for smaller teams for us to be there and help them review their code, just because if you can avoid a few mistakes, that, you know, the cost of learning yourself is a lot more expensive than a few hundred dollars a month to have access to some pros, Rob, is there anything you could add to that? No, I think that was pretty
4: good. I mean, besides just the clients, we also have gotten um, a lot of new hires as well from that project. And, and don't forget, we're using it internally, so we're kind of maintaining – we're kind of using what we make open source. So we, we'd we probably be working on that anyway uh, as an internal project because it's so foundational to kind of the architecture of our current app. So But, yeah, we've gotten – Justin, we've got a huge number of new hires from –
3: Yeah, so, I mean, it's just a good way to try people out. I I really do believe in the whole karma aspect of open source and writing articles. And if you you do stuff that helps people out that you don't know and really just provide something useful, it really is. It's the greatest introduction to meet tons of great people and projects around the world.
0: I love it. Yeah, no, I and and on behalf of. Of all those consumers, we appreciate your hard work on that. Open source is definitely the core of everything that we do as a programmer, it seems, especially in the last five to 10 years. Um, so thank you for making our life better.
3: Well, appreciate that. Yeah.
2: So one other question that I had that I wanted to bring up, uh, the, the JavaScript ecosystem is changing. A lot of people moving away from jQuery toward things like React, but um, some people are moving towards something that's a little bit more middle ground uh, things like Stimulus, for example, that uh, DHH put out there. Uh, they're using it on Basecamp. Um, so I'm, I'm more curious just as far as front end development goes, you know, where, where do you see things fitting as far as sort of the React Angular view that kind of aim more toward a spa or a single page app versus Stimulus, which is, um, more aimed toward, some of those interactions and things and javascript sprinkles as dhh puts it yeah Yeah, um, especially
3: with rails yeah i want to say kind of like you know i i think chuck you know one way you could look at your question is that you got three ends of the spectrum the far end of the spectrum you have conventional rails apps using um, jquery ujs still it's sort of maybe deprecated at this point you know that's the simplest thing and as I gotta say, sometimes when you look at these old Rails apps, they have some ERB code and they got a little bit of JavaScript right on the ERB page. It does a little validation, and then you look at how much harder it is to do that using, say, just using a React component on the page. You're like, whoa, this is kind of like this old stuff sort of did work, and you know, and that, and also you might even be using Turbo things like that. So now you go to the next stage. And the next stage is is that you have a React on Rails app. So now you're mixing in React components. They got props from the database, even server rendered. That's pretty easy. And then the next set, the next level of complexity is now you go to a complete separation of the front end and the back end. And now you've got a whole lot more complexity. Maybe there's some more other things you can do. So it's really, there's a spectrum out there.
4: And we we have clients, we we do all three. We've had Currently, right now, we're supporting all three of those different kinds of apps. But you know, I think the, the the points that DHH was raising, or whoever wrote that inspiration document on the stimulus repo, was was kind of a was kind of like saying, "Hey, pa- let's pause for a minute and think about." Are we headed in the right direction? Because right now everybody's full bore on single page applications that are very JavaScript intensive, lots of interactivity, which is great for user experience. Everything seems really fast and you know you click this over here and this number of increments over there, and uh, just using the backend as sort of a JSON API. Which he does support. I mean, they added, you know, Rails API mode. We're using an app that does that, where it's just pure React single page application, and then talking to a Rails app in Rails API mode. That's one kind of direction that the community, a lot of the JavaScript community, seems to be really going towards. And you know, DHH or again, whoever wrote that that document, they're sort of raising the question: Is this really the direction we want to go? I mean, when you have those apps. As much as I love writing React, and that's most of what I do, I I do write Rails too um, a lot. But it—I have to admit—it's nowhere near as fast as just making some quick template, Slim template, or or ERB template in Rails. I mean, and it does add a lot of complexity in terms, of, you know, I now got to manage Ajax requests and and kind of like what happens if that fails, and I got to show an alert, and and um, this thing's got to talk to this over here, and then you add Redux into the mix. Which you know, if you have a complicated problem, it's really good at solving complicated problems. But if you have a simple problem, it's sort of overengineered for maybe the simple problem. And you know, and a lot of people use it anyway. Um, and same, and that kind of might be a microcosm for the whole question, which is, you know, what kind of app are you trying to make? Are you making an app that's just basically a data, <laughs> you get a glorified database skin? Or, you know, are you just basically trying to show the database in a pretty way in which case I don't see why you probably need a whole lot of JavaScript interactivity and something like rails is just so unbelievably fast in terms of productivity right you could it might be the best business value if you have something that's like a game or some app that has a huge amount of interactivity where it just wouldn't or you know lots of dynamic graphs and stuff like that, and you need a single page application you know then that's pretty much makes your decision for you most apps probably are somewhere in the middle which is kind of where DHH comes with the, the sprinkles idea which is you know let's, we can get, let's get away with the rail stuff where we can and if we need some interactivity for this widget over here let's 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 put some stuff in there and that's where stimulus comes in it's, it's very it's very modest in terms of what it tries to do and, and how it works and it's very much centered around how can we make sure this works really well with Turbo Links because we were always trying to with React and Rails, at least in the early days, we were always trying to get that to work well with Turbo Links, and um, we just it just eventually became like too too troublesome with state and and reinitializing and stuff like that when the page reloads and stuff like that. So um, you know, Stimulus is really interesting if you just need that really lightweight thing and you want to keep Turbo Links on, you know, that might be the thing for you with with everything it's it's almost impossible to predict technology especially because um, some technologies might be in your opinion better but it's it's not so much about what's the best technology it's about where the herd is I just prefer to run with the herd um, that you know that way if everybody's using react I prefer to be in react because that has the the most vibrant community the most open source projects or most tutorials, that's what everybody's used to, that type of thing. So it's sort of hard to predict which direction it's going to go. Um, I think the most popular stuff uh, for 2017, even more so than React, was Vue. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see where the trend the trend goes. But he raises an interesting point about, you know, productivity and, and you know, just React does come from, a company that's got, you know, however many thousand developers, so they're 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 you know they're not worried about how scalable the technology is for a very small team. They have a lot of developers to tackle, uh, you know, more. Sometimes it's more verbose to write the code and stuff like that, and it takes a little longer. But they but is that really still a good idea for a really small company, lean startup yeah. that's just starting out?
3: Yeah, I'd like to like to add to that response from Rob. If you looked at um, if you were going to try to make a new state of the art example Rails app that did that had things like validations and basic form stuff, I bet that's and you wanted to you're going to do some cool things with um, Turbo links and what, what's that thing called when you reload like UJS or reload like a partial and stuff like that. PJs. Over in yeah, it's a thing where um, you can just reload the partial on the form, things like that. We used to do that a lot, don't do it anymore. But if you want to fit into this um, framework where you're going to create the form in ERB and have, like, I guess this quote unquote JavaScript sprinkle on it that understands the way the form works, then I think that this is my guess is from a very cursory read. That's where the stimulus thing will fit in there is that, you know, don't do it the old jQuery way. Here's like a better way that's, you know, more modern, but you don't have to go full on React, Redux and the whole, you know, single data flow, et cetera. The the problem is, is let's say we're building an app and 25% of the app, we need to do the complicated things. Now do we want our front end developers or our developers overall to be learning yet another whole different way to do stuff? Or is it going to be more efficient to use something that's a little bit overkill Because parts of the app are gonna need it. You're not gonna run it, you're not gonna hit the limit in React. That's a guarantee. Are you gonna hit the limit in Stimulus or something like that or jQuery and go, you know what, this is becoming a nightmare and I wish I'd done this in React from the beginning? Quite possibly. Your your firm might also wanna, you know, like kind of like Rob says, is that we can hire developers that know React. Are we gonna be able to hire developers that know Stimulus really well? Maybe yes, maybe no and what if also maybe you might eventually want to do a react native app so you have a native version mm-hmm. you know these are a lot there's a lot of compelling reasons behind react yeah i think that was I mean, a, that's a huge
4: point too because we've actually had that problem where we were trying to mix rails views with react stuff and one of the things i think dhh missed he was talking a lot about you know the architecture and about how to how it updates the dom and stuff like that but there's a whole beauty to the React way of doing it, which is you make these little building blocks out of these components, these little Lego pieces. And if you, especially if you use a library like semantic UI, React, or, or, or you make your own, we have our own that we use in our internal, You, we, at a certain point, you're just really putting Legos together. I'm not writing any CSS. Every Every component is self-styled. Every component, if it needs to be a little bit different for this or that, It's got its own prop that I can just pass as a boolean. So I've got all of these Legos, these self-contained modular things that I just keep putting together in different ways. And if, if that's like a little unclear, like people are probably familiar with Bootstrap. Bootstrap has like these components like a modal or an accordion or a scroll spy. You can put all these things, but it's just infinite with React. Everything by definition that you make is now one of these modular component things that you can then reuse. And if everything comes self-styled, so like we have even components for something as, as silly as a link, an anchor tag. But we have a certain style. We have a certain way we want it to be underlined. We have a certain behavior. We want to make sure we have, you know, rel, no opener, no refer there on, on, the, uh, on the attributes so that we don't have a security problem. All of that's encapsulated. And now anywhere in the app, we just reuse that anchor tag and we're actually deciding to change the color of something right now. And that's going to require a one-line change. And every anchor tag in our app is going to be changed like that. And you could do that with CSS. But if you're doing it, it's it's more slick if you do it with the React component styles. And if you're doing all that, you've got this great style guide. We've got like a whole little mini app that displays all of the components that are available for you. And you can pick from them. And it's this great style guide. And then, boom, you're on this other. Then you decide to do this Rails page. Now you're going to have to duplicate all of that CSS, all of that code, all of that logic now because this one page is on a t- completely different architecture. And by the way, some of your front end guys might not know Slim or Rails, and, and it's a completely different stack for them. So I think that was like a really good point that that Justin made about that.
0: I, I'm I'm going to push back a little bit um, to you, Justin and Rob. You make a great point, and there's definitely value in that. But also, don't don't undervalue. Um, you said that people who use stimulus, there might be a wall there. There might be a point where they have to break out into React. And with React, there is no wall. That depends on the talent that you have. That's highly dependent on the talent and the team that you have. In my experience with React, when we introduced React into a very, very, very small core team with high Rails, high rails confidence, we introduced React, all of a sudden, we had to start bringing React teams in. And then React people by nature – not React people, but React itself by nature becomes more and more complex. The code becomes more complex. You introduce Redux, and all of a sudden, you are effing screwed if you want to have it be simple. I'm sorry, but that's the case, at least in my experience. So you're saying that you might – I've had the opposite experience. I wish I could – Hop in a time machine, go back, undo the choice to use React, and just stick with core Rails and eventually apply stimulus because that would have allowed us to stay very small, very agile, and be able to deploy quicker. And you mentioned React Rails, which are, are... uh, React uh, Mobile, uh, React Native, which we did use. You can also turn around and use Turbo Links to build your own um, app. Now it's not going to be as highly uh, involved or interactive, but it still does work. So I am pushing back a little bit on that because I think that that you know that that's a little bit of a broad statement to say that um, R- R- React is probably the the tool that you will end up needing down the
1: road. Yeah, but Eric, you also have to realize. Who invented React? It was Facebook. And what does Facebook primarily use? PHP. So JavaScript is sure as a hell a lot better than writing PHP. Bingo. So, <laughs>
2: Bingo. Yeah. One, one thing that I see with this, um, and it, it comes down to, you know, different tools, different places, different people. So uh, with Shaka Code, for example, you know, they have a, an app, uh, Guests and Friends. It's kind of like Airbnb. And so uh, there are a lot of highly interactive components on there. And for a lot of that stuff, you you need the animations, you need the reactions. I mean, you know, you make things move so that people can kind of intuitively figure out how things go. And so something like React to me in that case makes a whole lot of sense. But if I'm just Absolutely. building, uh, okay, take data in, push data out. Hey, look, here's a picture and here, you know, here's kind of a tabular view of the data you know what? I probably don't need a complicated front end framework if I need anything beyond like you know a couple of little jQuery you know droplets here or there, and so I see that as kind of the sweet spot for stimulus and then you know as you rise to the point where it's okay, you know what we need we need full on control of this component because it's not just you know link hover anymore. You know, that that's where you're going to see react or angular or view come in and really shine for you, even if you don't go full on single page app, because that it's just a different level of interaction on the page.
3: Yeah, I have a feeling that the, the, main, um, the main thing is going to be if you have things that are, tend to be more form based. Whether or not you're viewing tables of data, just simple tables of data, versus if you want to have interactive tables, interactive graphics, interactive maps. If you want a lot of interactivity on the page, I think that's going to be the place that's going to make a difference. And I definitely 100% agree with you, Eric and Chuck, that the cost of going to React is definitely going to be somewhat high compared to if we could have done some of this stuff. And I'm not gonna say it would have been any better with jQuery for sure, you know, from having a lot of experience in that. Could it be, could Stimulus um, solve that? And could that be this just epic Swift Swiss Army knife so that you can go to any corporate sort of form-based application where it's really mostly just form-based and build your app with enough validations, with enough interactivity, et cetera? Maybe, and that could be really an epic skill. I mean, look how many, you know, you look at the other um, side of things is stuff like, you know, there's a zillion PHP apps out there that they get the job done. They're pretty ugly, but they get the job done. So, yeah. you know, it really yeah. depends on, I think technology is really about, you've got to assess what is the problem you're trying to solve, match up with what the best tool there is. And then you got to take into account the human aspect. If you have developers that already know something versus they're going to have to learn something, or if you need to hire developers and then there's always a the risk factor of maybe if you if you've gone on some of these other libraries in the past, like Batman or whatever, that are no longer supported. then that's sort of a, you know, a big issue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. And well, To be,
4: to, be too, to just real quick, just to be super clear, like we're not in any way saying that React is better than stimulus. It, it just comes down to, you know, what your app needs and, and that type of thing, you know. I think the fact that they made Stimulus, I always welcome new libraries and new tech. And I hope, I hope it kicks off because it would be really cool if there was a solution for those apps that just need a little bit of interactivity, but they don't, there is a cost to React and they don't, if they don't need it, they shouldn't have the cost.
2: Yeah. Love it. Alright. Um, I have a hard stop in 15 minutes, so I'm going to push us to picks. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side? Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, Go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Eric, why don't you go ahead and do picks and then we'll have Dave do them in a second.
0: Uh, I've been so excited about today's pick. I found it yesterday and it just is so exciting to me. As as we mentioned at the beginning, we're all using the Mac and we all use the menu bar. And I'm I'm starting to invest in uh, cryptocurrencies and get to know all that stuff. But uh, there are there's. I want to be able to see, like, what's my net profit, net loss, right, on my total, like, the exact moment, like, exactly right now. How much have I made (laughs) across my whole thing? And there's nothing like that out there. So I wrote a script uh, using uh, an, an app called BitBar. Now, BitBar is a free open source app that you can install to be able to put anything you want up in the menu bar. And you can write a script in shell, you can write a script in Python, in Ruby, in whatever you want. As long as you print out the results, it'll put out those printed results. And if you do, like, for example, three put statements, one after the other, it'll stack them. So what I did was I wrote a script that goes out, hits the APIs. I know exactly how much of each coin that I have. It gathers the exact, you know, the exact uh, price at the moment calculates it by the amount that i have and now i have a full real-time view of like how much money i'm freaking losing with with all these cryptocurrencies so uh, Bitbar, uh <laughs> <laughs> it's called uh, getbitbar.com. get bitbar.com hey we're in a dip <laughs> get bitbar.com but my gosh this is a good one you guys got to try it out
1: awesome cool. all right dave what are your picks All right. So I went to Sam's Club the other day and, you know, this all spawned from my son uh, getting his report card from school. You know, he's three years old, so it's preschool. It's not real school. But the teacher said, you know, like, hey, he's having trouble identifying his name when he sees it printed and stuff. So I went to Sam's Club and I got this laminator. It's a bossish laminator. And I used it to print out little tiny pictures of each one of the members of our family and our names and then laminated them, cut them out so he can kind of like do a little mix and match and kind of pair them. So, uh, it was a pretty good deal. And we've been having a lot of fun with it and it's going to be great for learning. And he's very destructive too. So he would just tear up sheets of paper in no time, but having it laminated, it's a bit tougher and he chews on them and all that great stuff.
2: Nice. Um, I'll jump in here with a couple of picks. Um, My first pick is going, well, they're related. One's a pick and one's an anti-pick is what we've deemed when you uh, tell people not to buy something or use something. So um, uh, last year, my wife wound up having some issues uh, with our bed. We got a really nice high-end bed um, about eight years ago. And uh, they told us it would last us 20 years and all this stuff and had a warranty on it. And it turns out that it'll last you 20 years, and that there's a warranty on it. it. Turned out to be utter crap. So if you're gonna, if you're out there looking for kind of a high-end bed because you need something that will give you the kind of support you need, um, you can buy an IntelliBed, um, and they'll tell you it'll last 20 years. Ours lasted about eight, and they won't honor the warranty. So just keep that in mind if you're out there looking for a bed. Don't don't go with IntelliBed. Go with someone else, and they they have their own stores around. Uh, basically, basically the Western U S and, you know, in Canada and stuff. But yeah, um, you know, loved the bed until it just didn't work anymore. Um, you know, one of the layers collapsed and that was it. So anyway, um, just keep that in mind. Uh, they will not honor the warranty. Um, the, the flip side is, is we ordered a bed online and so far we're liking it. Uh, we got one of the foam beds kind of like the Casper or the purple. Uh, We got ours from Tuft & Needle. So, um, you know, it, it's nice. Um, I probably have a conversation with my wife cause we're getting close to that hundred days. They let you try them for a hundred days and then they'll come pick it up. if You don't want it anymore, or you think you can get something better. So yeah, we'll have that conversation to figure out if we want to try something else. But, uh, so far I've been pretty happy with it. So, uh, I'll go ahead and pick the Tufted Needle mattress. Um, Rob, what are your picks?
4: Um, just one, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of uh, the prettier project for JavaScript, uh, started by James Long. Um, basically, what it is is if you're writing JavaScript, it's a tool that lets that kind of parses what you the JavaScript you wrote into an abstract syntax syntax tree, and then prints it that spits it all back out again, but this time in a really pretty way. So if you have really long lines, it'll automatically wrap things for you. It'll get the indentation right. you will put parentheses where they're needed and and put semicolons if you forgot them, or it'll take semicolons out if you set that option. So anyway, I maintain uh, the the Atom integration if you use the Atom uh, editor. It's called so we call it Prettier Atom. But there are integrations for every every editor basically that there is, including I think there's a Vim one. Um, so that, that'll be my pick would be Prettier and, and Prettier Atom, which I maintain.
3: Awesome, Justin. What are your picks? Yeah, I got three picks. Um, First one, Chuck, I'm going to go on your sleep, um, your sleep theme. I'm currently listening to the book, Why We Sleep on Audible. And if you haven't been convinced by uh, enough people that sleep is probably the number one thing you need to do for your health that, you know, will lead to better nutrition, better exercise, better fitness, better productivity, et cetera. You can't skip on sleep and just, you know, and, and Audible is especially good just in terms of a pick is, is, you know, use Audible, listen to lots of books. I want to mention I've got a meta, sort of a meta pick on forum.shakuco.com. I've got two articles there you'll find. And one of them is called Top Health Podcast Videos and Books on Ketosis, Intermittent, Fasting, Paleo, and Related. And there I list basically my notes of everything I've been trying, what seems to work, maybe what's not. I also have another another sort of my picks on the forum, which is Justin's favorite productivity tools with Mac and iOS. So I list all the different sorts of things that I've tried out that I use. Um, My final pick, um, Chuck, I wanna mention is um, our startup, our internal project, which is our own app that we're building based on our technology with React on Rails and that's actually we renamed friends and guests to hawaiichi.com it's a vacation rentals site for vacation rentals in hawaii and um, it's a great example of the kind of work that chaka code does because this is our own project we're able to leverage all of our source code and r&d in this project in our clients projects So we use this as our test bed, so we're not doing R&D on your project, we're figuring out all the different techniques, like kind of what Rob was alluding to during the call, in our own project. So we do actually, I have learned the mistake of, we do tend to over-engineer stuff a little bit, in my opinion, in retrospect, in terms of how long it's taken us to do stuff. But at the same time, our clients benefit from our learning in our project. So okay. definitely feel free to get in touch with them. Feel free to definitely get in touch with um, me and Rob over at Shaka Code if you're interested. People want to do that. How do they do it? Um, just go to ShakaCode.com. There's a little button there. Contact us and it'll send us an email. I think that's definitely the easiest way. You can find me on Twitter at Rails on Maui, And I also do have a, a Shaka Code Twitter account as well nice and definitely check out react on rails on the open source you can get in touch with us there too
2: yeah rob are you on twitter and github and all that stuff too where people can find you yeah
4: um, i think my github is just rob wise and then my twitter is rob a wise, rob wise is all
2: right well thank you for coming and uh, spending some time talking us through sort of the javascript ecosystem with react and rails
3: hey Chuck thanks a lot for bringing us on board It's a real pleasure yep
2: we'll go ahead and wrap this thanks. one up folks and we will be back next week bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly the world's fastest CDN deliver your content fast with Cashfly visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more